What's up, guys? I'm Thomas of Niagara Moon, coming back in for part two of the uh, Pantheon Bar song breakdown, revealing all my musical secrets. It's a song so intricate that I had to divide it up into two parts. The uh, first part, last podcast episode, I believe I'd gotten all the way up to the actual uh, intro part of the song. I uh, kind of exposed each layer one by one, um, each each, uh, instrumental component. And we're going to dive a little deeper today and go through the rest of the song. I'll explain... um, you know, the rest of of what's going on, all the different parts that come together, sort of the uh, origins of each one. And uh, I don't know, if you you find this stuff interesting, this kind of uh, musicological nerding out, I I think this will be a a good episode for today. If you haven't heard part one, definitely feel free to uh, go back to that. I think that came out a couple weeks ago, previous to uh, when this releases. Anywho, uh, also, if you're enjoying this podcast, if you really think this is uh, something interesting, you know, please let me know with a, uh, a kind rating or a review, especially uh, in iTunes. If you do that in uh, Apple Podcasts, that can be quite helpful in getting more visibility for this. So uh, by all means, leave your comments there. Uh, so we are going to start today with the sort of pizzicato-ish string part that I feel really gels most of the song together. You know, it's kind of my main instrumental part that everything else is revolving around. When I structure a song, put all the things together and arrange it, it's very important that I I feel like I have kind of a nexus, like a, a main component going on that holds everything else in place. Everything else is kind of responding to that. You know, you can add in all these crazy details and sound effects and all this kind of minute stuff, but you need, at least in my case, I need a main instrument to play. Like if you stripped away all the other things that are going on in the song and all I could do was just perform this for you on one instrument, you know, what would that sound like? What, what would I be playing? So in the case of Pantheon Bar, that is pretty much this sound. might hear a change a little bit by this part. That's because I uh, have more weird reverb uh, affecting it, making it kind of sound more outlandish. And so what that sound is, again, if you uh, heard the last episode, the um, like London's Philharmonic Orchestra, just this free library of sounds that they had on their website that I downloaded, and just kind of crudely loaded into uh, Ableton's sampler. I mean, that's pretty much all I did. It's the sound of somebody plucking a pizzicato string, and uh, I'm just playing that back on a keyboard, basically. That's all there is to it. Um, But that definitely gave me a vibe that I was uh, really hoping for. Um, Again, it it ran alongside all these uh, themes that I've discussed, discussed and just really seemed like something I could hang my hat on as far as just playing through this whole song and and figuring out what was going to go where. Um, The other component that I had kind of uh, 
doubling up with this. So again, I, I liked the idea of having multiple instruments or multiple sounds do the same thing together, and you get a new sound from the combination of those two elements that, you know, if they're just both by themselves, you, you don't have that. It's, it's like you put them together to get something totally new. Um, so besides samples, I uh, was using a software synthesizer, um, one that I, I'll pull out from time to time, especially if I want to uh, approximate uh, 80s synthesizer sounds, and that is uh, Native Instruments FM8. I don't know which version I have exactly. I downloaded this, again, like six years ago. But uh, I found this pretty cool, sh very shimmery. That's how I think of it. It's, it's the shimmery synth. Um, it kind of has the texture a little bit or the attack of like a pizzicato string sound, but it's entirely its own thing. And probably it's just going to be easiest if I play you a little bit of that now. Now, having nerded out on electronic music, especially in my teens, I know a lot of the ins and outs of like a typical analog synthesizer, like say a Moog. I, I kind of know what everything means, all the different terms and how they affect each other. Uh, FM synthesis is a different kind of synthes synthesizer style. I think it stands for like frequency modulation. It was invented in the 80s and it's all Greek to me. I don't... I just choose a preset and I just start clicking around until something changes and it sounds cool and different than the preset. That's so I this patch that I found, I kind of just stumbled upon. It's really interesting how there's like an overall note or there's multiple notes that are like sustaining in the background that kind of just ring out longer while there's like that like little plinking quality going on at Whatever it's doing, I just thought that was really cool, and I was like, this is definitely going in as well. So between those two sounds, I had my verse, or quote-unquote part A, pretty much worked out. You know, it's... it's I got the rhythm and the feel pretty much worked out, and I know that it's just these four chords over and over until something changes in the song, and, and that gave me room to feel like I could easily lay a vocal melody on top of that. So starting to come together. And now, of course, I'm a piano player first and foremost. That's how I started doing music. And piano is the, the only instrument I have really to, uh, to play music and to compose music. The piano sound, usually it's, it's gonna make its way into most, if not all of my songs. It just, it always seems to have its place in kind of embellishing and, and filling stuff out. So I quickly got uh, some piano on there, even just starting from this, this first part. And that sounds like this. And I'm, I'm just improvising for the most part. I have the thing that I just recorded playing, you know, that pizzicato part, and I'm just riffing off of that. I, I don't write this stuff out or anything. I just need to know the chord progression. If I got the chord progression, then I'm good. This is where I put in a harpsichord part, and that wasn't a computer sound or sample. That was just a, a sound bank uh, that came right with the uh, main keyboard I was playing.
They're all digital sounds though, so it's kind of like six and one, half a dozen in the other. You know, it's it's all these artificial sound sources that are, you know, mimicking uh, real life instruments, but it's all in the box and then they, they have their own quality to them. You know, that's sort of artificial, but kind of cool and kind of uh, has its own vibe. And it's not like I'm ever going to get a real life harpsichord. Like, I don't even know what those look like. So moving on, I'm grooving along with those, uh, you know, those harpsichord sounds built right into my keyboard. I'm playing the piano. I think that's also, it was just the piano sound that came with this giant keyboard. It wasn't um, a software instrument. And I'm just, I'm plugging the outputs of uh, the keyboard right into my audio interface, right into my uh, computer software and everything, just recording straight from there with the uh, same cables, same kind of cables you'd use for a guitar. And uh, I'm really grooving with the piano and I, I kind of just go ham. Like I, I overdubbed two or three different piano parts that I, I played at different points and just have them play over each other. Like, you know, I don't have the finger dexterity to play a part like that in real life. So I, I kind of split it up so I can be more ambitious with uh, the piano riffs. So you got some of this going on. Again, I'm not really looking where I'm stepping, musically speaking. I'm just, I'm letting it all fly out of my fingers. If I have the chord progression, I can do kind of whatever, you know, I can go wherever the wind takes me once I, I understand the basic rules. If, if I had to plot this stuff out consciously, I'd never get anywhere because it's just like, it's, it's too much to analyze and, and, and look at like on a, on a sheet of musical paper or whatever. For me anyway. Oh, before I forget, I also want to just quickly play you the bass pizzicato part that's also going on around this section. Um, you know, again, the concept of two different sounding instruments doing the same thing in unison to just make the sound bigger. Um, I have a similar sort of pizzicato string part, but just in a lower register uh, that I, uh, again, I got from that London Philharmonic website, just sampled it and threw it in like this. For whatever reason, I could just listen to this all day. You know, we're at the point in the song where we can talk about the vocal a little bit. Uh, like I said in the uh, first part, these were lyrics that I pretty much wrote all in one spurt while I was, you know, halfway playing hooky on a college class. And uh, also the the vocal melodies, I kind of piecemealed together from like three different songs in the past that never finished before or whatever. So I was pretty rough and tumble with getting the vocals. Uh, I didn't really practice it a whole lot, if at all, before I just recorded. You know, I, I'm by myself. And um, in those days, I would go to this like audio video media space, some like media workroom that was in the library of uh, Seika Daigaku, the, the school I was going to in Kyoto. They had this space 
you could rent out for free um, and you could be in there as, as long as there wasn't anybody else using it. And it really seemed like not much was going on there because I was pretty much the only one uh, on the books every time I, uh, I checked in with the, the person to, to go in there. And it was this weird kind of subterranean room. It was quite big, again, especially for, for Japanese standards. And it was just this big empty room with very bland or kind of nondescript uh, acoustics, which again, we're, we're wading into the technical here, but that's kind of, I feel like that's kind of something you want when you're recording your vocals, especially if you don't have anybody professional doing it for you or helping you and you're, you're just kind of, it's all your own equipment and you're figuring it out for yourself. It's good to record vocals I mean, A, in a space where you can sing as loud as you want and nobody will hear you and nobody's bothered by you, which that's not always easy to find in metropolitan Japan, if you can imagine. Uh, so, so it was very useful in that sense. It was a kind of a private space and I could really go as loud as I want and um, there were no outside noises coming in and intruding at all. You know, if, if you, I feel like uh, people, you know, amateur musicians, when you're recording just in your bedroom or the living room or whatever, it's hard not to get those bird song sounds or the dogs barking or cars driving by. It's a pain in the butt navigating that stuff. You know, even as I'm speaking to you right now on this microphone, uh, if you listened on primo fancy headphones, you might occasionally hear in the distance like a car or two or like the sound of like a mouse scraping the table or whatever, you know, it's, it's hard to record vocals in a way where you get a very good level of detail and the acoustics don't make it sound like you're in a closet or like in a weird boxy, uh, reverberant, like wooden room. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm waiting too much into the technical, but I liked having this, this private space in this library um, could sign up. I could reliably have it on days when I go over to campus. Guys, sometimes knowing I could use this library would be the, the only thing that would get me to campus that day to, to bother attending the classes. Um, it's it's kind of the, the main use I got out of the school during my time there overall, really. Um, so I think Pantheon Bar, as I said, it's the first Niagara Moon song I ever wrote. Most of the vocals I had done for the album before with my band Otarehan, a lot of those I also recorded at this library. Um, so I'd, I'd been there a bunch by then. I'd, I'd really used that space a lot, again, just for the, the openness and the quietness and the, um, the uh, neutral acoustics. So I was recording the vocals there I think I got it all in one session, which now is, is that doesn't happen with me now when I write songs. Um, usually I break it up where I do the main vocal one day and I'll come back maybe like a month later after I've kind of edited and treated that vocal and then I'll sing harmony over that if it's a song that has harmony. This, I was just go, go, go. I got everything down in one afternoon, you know, in a period of, of a couple hours. And I didn't know I was going to put harmony in there. I, I didn't. There's lots of little details in what's going on with the vocals in the song that I just kind of thought of on the spot. And most notably is the very kind of Beach Boys ooh ah harmony part. That's uh, one of my favorite things I ended up doing in the song. 
Um, and that that's this part specifically. thought of it spur of the moment I put it in and I thought it fit really well I kind of cringe hearing it now because I, I feel like I kind of sound a little out of tune on uh, on some of those tracks you know I'd like to think my vocals have improved since then but I think even just parts like that that went a long way to giving the song just that much more character and making it feel even bigger so I, that was definitely a very productive and, uh, and happy uh, vocal tracking session I was pretty excited by the end of that. In terms of more instrumental stuff to throw in the mix and uh, continue to flesh out the sound, I wanted to start to have some percussion elements going on, but obviously not like a drum set or whatever, something that would be light. I ended up kind of feeling a Christmas vibe for whatever reason, so I found samples of both like an orchestral triangle you know, the little triangle that you hit with a little stick and uh, sleigh bell sound. So sequence those out, threw that in there. Got a nice effect. The moment where I start doing those kind of Beach Boys style reverby, uh, ooh, kind of harmony vocals, that seemed like a good moment to, to throw in more of that applause sound. You know, it's almost like I'm patting myself on the back for, for pulling off that harmony. And I wanted to pick an applause sample that was more kind of raucous and excited and kind of celebratory than, you know, versus the, the one at the beginning of the song is more just like, a, oh, they're here, the show's about to begin. The other component that I added into the song around this point that really started to, to make it for me and uh, kick it up a notch was a jazz drum solo, just a recording that I found on YouTube. And what it was, it's uh, the drummer Buddy Rich. And I was familiar with the drummer Buddy Rich, who's a you know, famous drummer and jazz band leader back in the like 50s and 60s and stuff. I was familiar with him through an electronic artist, kind of uh, a DJ, not quite a hip-hop guy, but uh, someone who used a lot of beats, um, Eamon Tobin. And Eamon Tobin, I believe he's still on the Ninja Tune label, or he was. He, he came to prominence uh, in the late 90s, and he's really good for music that is entirely made from samples of other songs. Like he just had, you know, however many thousands of uh, vinyl records and new, kind of like a DJ Shadow is somebody else like that is popular. But he just like took it as far as you could take it with just these very like cinematic kind of soundscapes of, uh, you know, a lot of different jazz samples, some funk samples, but yeah, I'm not doing it justice by trying to describe it. And also, I guess his style also really changed uh, in the second of half of his career, and he does a lot of weird synthesizer stuff now that I'm not as into. But uh, anyway, Eamon Tobin swore by Buddy Rich, and Eamon Tobin gets a lot of his kind of drum samples and chops them up and makes them 
makes them his own. But uh, Buddy Rich was was in my mind as just somebody who had really busy, like octopus arm type, uh, just uh, a master of kind of composing lines on the drum set. So I found him live, maybe it was like in Holland in the 60s. I just found a clip that just had the right kind of feel, plopped it under, you know, all the pizzicato and the piano stuff going on. I probably had to resequence it a bit and maybe change the tempo to match everything else, but it was just this wonderful uh, symbiosis that, that ended up happening. It also helps to add a lot of weird delay and chorus and reverb stuff going on to just further take it out of its original context. So I had that go on for a little while, but then I like the idea of having that die down and another kind of drum part fading in, um, kind of going back to that marching band aesthetic or drum rolls of, of that nature. Uh, this is what I threw in there. Again, this is kind of a nod to Van Dyke Park's song cycle, too. I feel like he would have something like this in a song. So what else we got going on in this tune? We're not even at the part B, but maybe we should get there. That's um, So the part B, kind of the, the pre-chorus, if you will, that's when you know it's, we're kind of in happy floaty land sonically so far, and it's, it's all these, uh, you know, the characters kind of making all these revelations and having all this excitement about the Pantheon bar. And then again, to stream of consciousness, it, it turns on a dime with this, uh, but the house always wins line. And what better sound to just throw in the middle to say, Hey, we're changing it up than a snare drum roll that I probably got from freesound.org typed in like marching drum roll or Whatever, I stumbled across it somehow and it just seemed uh, to fit. I don't know why, but I just love the way that sounded. And we planted ourselves firmly in the part B, which is kind of this minor, kind of more full of tension moment of the song where, hey, maybe things are kind of uh, starting to, to crash down on you. The, uh, the facade is starting to fade, that sort of uh, idea. So definitely had... Um, some bass pizzicato, kind of raising the stakes and adding some some tension like here. And by the way, if you've ever listened to an audiobook, like maybe back in the day when it was on a cassette or even CD, doesn't that sound like the little soundbite audio that they have at the beginning, like Random House Publishing presents, like a David Sedaris novelist? I don't know. I always just... Permanently, I associate that kind of upright bass sound with, with an audiobook. Uh, and um, kind of complementing that was another little kind of pizzicato interlude moment, but not on uh, bass, more, more uh, in, the, in the treble clef, if that's uh, musically correct. All right, and, and things start to get kind of uh, musically dark or tense with the introduction of this really low uh, kind of pumping um, string bass sound. This in particular might have been another just built-in sound on my, uh, my gigantic keyboard and uh, not a sound that I got via samples or whatever. So I, I call this like wood bass tension 
Sounds almost kind of clumsy by itself, but, uh, you know, rhythmically it seemed to fit better in the, the overall context of the song. So that part kind of builds and builds, maybe over the course of a minute, and then it finally, in an instant, it kind of all goes smooth again. And uh, that leads right into pretty much the, the big crescendo that almost kind of mimics the, the beginning of the song. And uh, the French horn, uh, go, going back to uh, last episode, that, that kind of clumsily put together French horn sound, um, playing chords on that kind of uh, glued together this whole section for me. So I'll kind of play what that's doing now. Another instrument in the song that was uh, really kind of holding this part in place for me, you know, aside from the typical uh, the strings and the piano, the harpsichord, I, f- I found another place for that sound because I really love um, how that elevated the, uh, the verse. So I found a place for it in this, um, in this chorus. I, I just, re- I love how this turned out and kind of how it evolves over you know, the 45 seconds or so it plays out. This, in retrospect, it's kind of one of my favorite parts of the song. So here you go. And uh, maybe one of the reasons it's one of my favorite parts is it really reminds me of the music of Eiichi Otaki, which is a guy I've nerded out about on this podcast uh, a few episodes back when I talked about the Beatles of Japan. So he was a pop guy in the 70s and 80s, and he had this, uh, he used harpsichords a lot, kind of like the Beach Boys did. And so this this whole part of it, I was just kind of rep- trying to replicate uh, something that I would imagine he'd have in a song of his. Anyway, moving on, uh, I think we're most of the way there now. We're, we're starting to really just have, have covered all the, uh, the important different parts of this song. Next would be, oh, you know what? Let me play you what like all the strings, all those, what all those instruments are doing while the harpsichord's doing its thing and the French horn is doing its thing. I, I, I guess that's kind of another underrated moment of the song for me is just how these elements really all started to blend together after I, you know, set up the sort of parts I would have in the beginning, if that makes sense. Like I, I decide in the beginning, like by the end of the first verse, what all the parts are going to be in the song, what all the other, what all the various instruments I'm going to be playing are, and this is where things really uh, came to a head, I think.
And if you thought that sounded cool, definitely check out uh, Susumu Hirasawa, the uh, the composer behind like the the Paprika soundtrack and Millennium Actress. Uh, he's your guy for that kind of like just majestic like digital string work. Uh, I'm throwing a lot at you today. This is this is a lot to mentally keep track of. But moving on again, we are at the moment where this chorus is coming back around again to the part A, you know, that that initial theme of didn't dun 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 So we we've gotten so far away from there, but we're coming back to it, and uh, that's a moment in songwriting. In songwriting, I'm always kind of interested in the part where you're going back to a familiar element that you've heard before. Like you're kind of, you know, turning around and, and changing the mood back again and, and different ways you can do that. I always find that to be an interesting moment in a pop song. Um, one thing, one little like kind of nerdy music production trick that I had been aware of for a while and wanted to incorporate into a song. And I was like, well, I'm pulling out all the stops with this one. I might as well do it here. Is uh, it's a, it's a trick with the vocals where you take a bit of a vocal, like just like a second or two second part of it or whatever. You reverse it. You're playing it backwards, and you put a lot of reverb on it too, so it sounds like it's really far away, and it builds up just really sharply. This this heavily reverb reverse vocal snippet. And then immediately goes into the uh, vocal in its unreversed original version without a lot of reverb, and it has this like like just like pulls itself out of the ether and like is right in your face. It's this kind of interesting dynamic. Um, if you actually hear it, you, that probably makes more sense what I'm talking about. But that's that's a little trick I incorporated here. So that sounded like. So that's the vocal of me singing like, they'll be here all night. That's just the they'll be part reversed and heavily reverbed. So I like how that kind of, and we're back in the uh, opening verse again. I liked how that ended up. So we're going back to a familiar musical motif, but the narrative of the song at this point, it's kind of like you've already given away that things aren't quite what they seem. And it's a little more kind of manic and unsettling. So I, I have like the same kind of musical elements going again, but I try to like put a twist on some of them and kind of change them up to maybe be a little more uh, fantastical or slightly sinister. Um, I have like a full throttle, weird, like reverb delay, chorus, what have you combo. Like just I just piled on all these different effects on top of each other and and ran it on on some of these different sounds. And it really reminded me of like a sound like Animal Collective would use or one of those other really strange alternative borderline like noise rock bands. Uh, So I have this particular delay effect that I thought it would be interesting to share. Like it, it kind of sounds like something's wrong a little bit, like it's kind of breaking down or something. And on the percussion side of things, I have kind of like the the tap, 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 sort of light, gentle percussion thing going on, but it's like reverse. Like it, it has um, 
parts of the samples I, I, uh, I hit the reverse button on. So it's this kind of discombobulating sort of like whooshing effect almost. And up ahead here, you're gonna hear like a Buddy Rich drum crash thing that I also heavily affected. You have the triangle sound coming back in. And I don't know if you can make it out, but there's like a little like my approximation of what tap dancing sounds like. I just found a few different samples of like rim shots and sequence them together to get this sort of kind of little effect. Thought it'd be cute and and match the the overall vibe of the tune. I'll play you it in isolation here. And that's just me tippy-tapping on a keyboard, you know, like hitting C, D, and E on a keyboard just to, to, <laughs> to play different uh, samples uh, that I pitched slightly differently. Did the best I could. And now we've come to the point in the song where things really come to a head and just get kind of crazy sounding. Uh, and there is a lot going on here, and I don't quite remember how I affected everything, but as always, it includes a lot of delay, you know, echo, uh, whooshing sounds, and um, I found a few more samples that I thought really helped elevate this section. And uh, one of them is like a recording, like a field recording of a bunch of kids on the playground, but I think it's like in Thailand or something. So I, I you know, I can't make out any words uh, but that just had a, I just stumbled upon that on, on freesound.org and it had a certain kind of whimsical quality that I liked. Again, there's a, some sort of whooshing sample. I also treated my vocals really strangely here. Um, as I'm continuing, continuing to sing the notes and I get to the end of the phrase, what do you expect when you come from Massachusetts? Uh, it's felt a little bit too on the nose to just have the vocals be straightforward and really easy to pick out as I'm singing the same notes and those are exactly the words I'm saying. Uh, I don't like, I don't know. I, I wanted to kind of obscure that part of the vocal and do something kind of weird with it to match all these other kind of sonic effects crescendoing and, and just getting strange. I call it like a, an animal collective moment. Again, it just gets kind of more noisy and out of control feeling for just a little bit. And uh, so I'll play you some of the sound effects that I incorporated in here, you know, some samples like the, uh, the kids at the playground, and then, you know, exactly what I'm doing with my uh, main vocal on that part. I don't understand, but what do you expect when you come from Another instrument that I'm kind of introducing late in the game here, you know, a sound that didn't appear any earlier in the song before this point, four minutes in or whatever, is a uh, vibraphone. Again, I was just making full use of the songs that just came preloaded into my, my physical keyboard that I had, and vibraphone was one patch, 
And I, I kind of liked the quality it had. And, you know, I just wanted to cram more and more in there. This is just really hands-on, easy to play. So I, I've found a moment for there to be uh, some, some vibraphone going on. Almost sounds like it could be a little Mario thing. And this is that weird kind of delay reverb effect that I pretty, I pretty much put it on like every element of the song that was still playing at that point. Just really kind of uh, like have the song have a like a temporary freak out moment. Like all the all the sounds are just like like glitching out. All right, we're almost uh, really reaching the end here in terms of just other. Uh, unique components of the song to tell you about. This one I have labeled here as Celtic Harp. I have no idea why. To be honest, I don't remember the origins of the sound. This may have been one that, uh, another one that actually came from the FM8 software synthesizer, although I'm not really sure. And uh, again, at this point, it's like I have so much of the song pretty completed and, and set in place. I really just want to add these other extra things to, to know that I did the best job I could in making this sound massive and big and detailed. So I'm just, I'm filling in the gaps and uh, Celtic Harp, I guess, filled in one of them. I was just going full on like Christmassy wintertime theme at this point too. So I also have a compilation of like what most of the instruments are doing at this point in the song and how they're all working together to just give you a better idea of how like things are fitting into place as I just want to keep ramping up the, the tension but still have this melodic stuff all going on as I uh, transition into the kind of, you know, big crescendo outro of the song. So it's going like... And it's all of those different instruments and different samples like that I, I kind of set the template, like I said, at the beginning of the song. And then just as I get to the ending, I'm just kind of picking and choosing, picking and choosing those different um, components that I set up already, like the, uh, the vocal oh, kind of synthesizer and the French horn and the different pizzicato strings and the shimmery like FM8 synthesizer thing. And it's, I'm just... I'm wrapping it all up, and uh, all right, we're, we're pretty much at the end here. The one last thing I want to show off that I am quite proud of, actually, kind of giving myself uh, a pat on the back here, digging into this six years later. I, I forgot I did this, but one of the samples going on at the very end to just further this kind of whooshing out of control sort of psychedelic feel in the song is I found a sample of, uh, all right, so if any of you have a bicycle out there, you know how like, if you say you turn your bicycle over, you know, you turn it upside down and you kind of like flick the wheel a certain way, you hear this kind of I, I don't know anything about bikes, but there's some kind of, some, some, some thing hitting there. 
someone much smarter than I could tell you what that is, but like the sort of sound of like a bike wheel spinning. And I wanted to put that in the end of the song to just kind of float by you and just have this extra like crazy sound effect happening. And I I think, mm, I really like how I incorporated that in there. All right, so we are at the end. And as you can gather, I really, experimentation was the name of the game with this whole song from writing the lyrics to the melody to playing the chords to like fitting in all the different parts in the arrangement and all the samples and sound effects. I really took my time with this one and like plotted the concept out very slowly over time and this this was a big uh, it's kind of a big um, musical moment for me in um, figuring out the identity of uh, what I wanted to do as a solo project beyond my band Otarehan, what it kind of meant to me to make a song all on the computer and how to make that interesting or unique. Um, I spent a lot of time and more, more, I was more labor intensive with this than maybe I needed to be. You know, it was a very different time in my life than where I'm at now. You know, I was 20. I didn't have a significant other yet, or, you know, I didn't have to really worry about money. Uh, I was just kind of free floating. You know, I had these college classes to sort of do. Um, I did have like a, you know, a social circle and would see friends and do the band and, teach all my English lessons. I, this is all a story for another time, but uh, I, uh, I had never been this obsessive maybe with a song before and really since, um, for better or for worse, I think, you know, this is about as kind of out there and, and crazy as I, as I can maybe afford to get on uh, all condensed in one particular song. So I'm proud of it. You know, there's things about it that I would do differently now, but it is what it is. I'm not going to mess with it, and um, I'm glad you all enjoy it. That's my dog barking in the background. Thank you guys for listening. I'll be back next time.
The doors are never locked and there's an open invitation They will wait for you And it's always the simple things The little things The minor details That you overlook No, you're not that crazy, but you're just a little nervous You can keep your privacy and hide under the surface Someone will keep an eye on you They'll be there all night long in the morning to come Painting their faces on the wall It's really starting to look just like you thought it would I don't understand Simple. 